Ford filed a patent in the United States uh, earlier this year for self-repossessing technology that outlines all the actions that your car could initiate basically to, I guess, motivate you, quote unquote, to make payments. And then if those payments still aren't made, then your car would either repossess itself, like as a, you know, drive off into the sunset, or if your car is not worth enough, then it could actually drive itself to a junkyard. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about cars. If you're in the market for a new vehicle today, there are obvious factors to consider. Uh, Classic safety ratings, like the performance of vehicles in various crash tests, uh, a new smart safety features like lane assist and pre-collision braking and rear cross-traffic detection. Uh, There's the choice between gas, electric, or hybrid. Uh, There are questions on connectivity to devices, like your smartphones, Uh, questions on cargo space and seat capacity, and does the car come in any color besides black, silver, or white? A fun fact, I, David Reese, hate those colors. But here's a question most consumers won't consider. How much will your car and the company that makes it know about you? That's partly what a team of researchers at Mozilla, working under the group title Privacy Not Included, try to answer this year when studying the data collection policies of 25 car manufacturers. That included Honda, Toyota, Ford, BMW, Volkswagen, Nissan, Kia, Chevrolet, Hyundai, and Tesla, and a lot more. And from what the team found, the answer is that these companies can learn a lot. But how do we know that? Well, cars today are a lot like websites. And while, yes, that statement can set up countless jokes about, say, every new car and every new website looking kind of the same for the past five years, or every car and every website probably implementing unmanaged open source code for critical functions, what I actually mean is something more mundane. Car makers, like company websites, publicly disclose what data they can collect from consumers, uh, how they might share it or sell it, and who they might share or sell it to. This kind of information can be found on pretty much every single business website you visit online in what is often called a privacy policy. And if you've never read one before, you are not alone. Privacy policies are lengthy, they are difficult to parse, and they are usually written by a company's legal department and only really posted online because of legal requirements. But as the Privacy Not Included team at Mozilla found when digging into the privacy policies of auto manufacturers, there is important stuff in there. For instance, Nissan says it can collect, quote, sexual activity, end quote, information about you, and you definitely weren't expecting that so early in the show, were you? So here's another. Kia says it can collect information about your, quote, sex life, end quote. Uh, Subaru passengers allegedly consent to the collection of their data by simply being in the vehicle. Volkswagen says it collects data like your age and gender and whether you are using your seatbelt, and it can use that information for targeted marketing purposes. These findings and 
many more led the team at Mozilla to state in their most recent investigation that, quote, cars are the worst product category we have ever reviewed for privacy, end quote. Today, to help us understand just what makes cars as bad as they are, what types of data they can collect, where that data is coming from, how it's used, and whether we have any choice in the matter, we're speaking with two researchers from Mozilla's Privacy Not Included team, Jen Kaltreider, who leads the Privacy Not Included team at Mozilla, and Zoe McDonald, a Privacy Not Included content creator. Jen, Zoe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yes, hello. Thank you for joining us. In already looking at your report, there is a ton of information, and it took me a long time just to read it, so I can only assume it took much longer to put it together and to write it and to do all the research for it. And so all of that is to say, we have a lot to get into. And I wanted to return to something that I said just a little bit before in the intro, right, that y'all summed up this investigation pretty well with the words, cars are the worst product category we have ever reviewed for privacy. I want to ask really broadly here, what does that mean? It means that there's not a single car that we reviewed. All 25 car brands earn our privacy not included warning label. And the reason we started privacy not included back in 2017 was to help people make decisions, smart decisions when they were buying connected products. Should I buy this smart speaker or that smart speaker? Which one's going to handle my privacy better? And when we looked at cars, there's nothing that handles privacy well. And that's really bad for consumers. And it also means that uh, it's time for policymakers and regulators to step up because consumers need to have better choices when it comes to privacy. What kind of information do car companies say they collect? They collect a lot of information and a lot of information that most of us would consider private sensitive information. They have a lot of ways of collecting that information. So just by you know sensors and microphones and cameras that exist inside your car. They can also collect information from your phone, from the car's app, from the car's connected services, from third-party sources. But I think we were pretty surprised by the data points that the car companies say they can collect. So, you know, including social security number, information about your religion, your marital status, uh, genetic information disability status, uh, union information, immigration status, race. And of course, as you said, you know, one of the most surprising ones for a lot of people who read our research is the, the sexual activity data. Um, <laughs> they also collect pretty intimate information about your, your body, like biometric information, fingerprints, face prints, voice prints, you know, the, the way that your iris looks, that's, um, that's information that can be used to identify you. And then, I mean, I could go on, <laughs> but also uh, pretty much just everything that you do in your car. So because of the, the nature and the sophistication of today's cars, all modern cars basically is our understanding, they have the ability to collect pretty much everything you do inside of it. So what you say, everywhere you go, of course, your driving patterns, habits, sort of techniques, like how you brake and how fast you drive, you know, when you pump the brakes, when you buckle your seatbelt, even every song that you listen to. That's so much. That's so much worse than um, even as someone who read the report, like hearing it just really quickly, like said that way, it's mind boggling, right? And I think one of the immediate questions that I have when I hear what type of information can be collected is where 
are they getting it from, right? Because there's some things where it makes sense to me, and I think it might make sense to listeners, that, okay, I understand how the car is collecting whether or not I'm using my seatbelt, right? I understand how it's collecting how fast I'm traveling, uh, when I pump the brakes, um, my location, obviously. Those are all things that are like in the car and can be measured within the car. But things like social security number, things like immigration status, things like religion, things like race, when am I giving them that information? How are they getting it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And from reading privacy policies, it's not always clear exactly how companies are collecting a lot of this information. But they do say that they collect information on you that you give them, that they gather through the technology. But they also go on to say that they can collect information about you from third-party sources. And that could include public sources. That could include social media. That could include data broker, information that they can buy about you. And so they're collecting a lot of information about you just because it exists out there in the world in someplace else. And then they go on to say, and this is what really creeps me out, they go on to say that they can take all the information they collect about you from the cars, the apps, the connected services, and everything they can gather about you from these third-party sources like data brokers and social media, and they can combine it into these things they call inferences about you, about things like your intelligence, your abilities, your predispositions, your characteristics. And that's where it gets really creepy because I just imagine a car company knowing so much about me that they've determined how smart I am. <laughs> and, and based on that, they're, how they're going to target me with ads or sell data that other people could use to target me with ads. And so the, the answer to your question is how are they getting all this? You know, data is a huge industry and the collection of data is a huge industry. And this is kind of the norm, but car companies seem to be doing it on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> this idea of inferences, it's quite similar to what we hear, like you said, in the data collection and like selling industry, where there are companies out there that are collecting data from disparate streams and they're packaging it into profiles to reveal our likes, our dislikes, uh, things that we might be more inclined to purchasing or not purchasing. It's sort of like you said, just this this collection of data and then again you create a profile and you're like hey well that's that will sell something to that person and it's so insane to me that like something that could be included in that profile of me is now like whether or not i use my seatbelt, right and i'm just like <laughs> what kind of ad is targeted to a 35 year old male who doesn't value his own life like what <laughs> what are you learning from that but what i want to get into like you said is that car companies seem to be doing this, like you said, on steroids. And that makes me wonder, are we then to conclude that car companies aren't just selling cars anymore, but that they have an entire new revenue stream of selling data? I mean, we know for a fact that the car companies are selling data. Um, according to our research, 84% of the car companies wrote in their privacy policies that they can share your personal data and 76% said that they can sell it. So we definitely know that to be true. We don't know exactly which companies that they're selling them to. You know, they kind of give us some hints in their privacy policies about different categories of companies like um, service providers, affiliates, uh, insurance companies, dealers, things like that. But they're definitely selling it. I also want to comment on even if we knew the names of the companies that they sold it to, 
like data brokers are so unknown to the average consumer that I think even if you rattled off the names here, most people wouldn't know a single company because like I've looked into data brokers before and I've looked at the names of these companies and every time I read a list, it's a, a list that I read for the first time in my life <laughs> because they are everywhere and yet they are not super well known to the public. And so the fact that we don't even have the names, but we know kind of the categories, that's still bad, you know? And the fact that insurance companies are on that makes me worry a lot because obviously inferences could be made about whether or not, you know, someone should get insurance or someone should be charged more for what they do. And maybe it's not things like this person's an unsafe driver. Maybe it's like this person lives in a zip code and we charge people more for that zip code and therefore we're going to charge this person more. But that's kind of getting down into an aisle where we don't know too much. And so I wanted to pull back again. And instead of talking about like where the data comes from, who they're selling it to, like why are they doing that? I actually just want to broaden it out a bit and just ask from all of the research you did, what are the most outrageous findings that you folks found on your own? Oh man. Well, you know, we spent, gosh, Zoe, what, like three months <laughs> on this research and, and every day there was a new, you know, we, we would message each other. Oh my gosh, did you see this line in the privacy policy? And every day it just kept escalating to like some of the worst things we saw. I, I think one of the things that really creeped me out the most, and I don't know if this will resonate for other people, but the line in Hyundai's privacy policy where they talked about how they could share data with law enforcement. And they said that they could share data with law enforcement based on a formal or informal request. And when you have a company that knows so much about you, you know, you don't want them sharing data with law enforcement easily. You know, you, you know, here at Mozilla, we require a court order. And even with a court order, we limit the amount of data that we share to the most minimal amount that the court order requires. And for Hyundai that can collect information about where you're going and where you've been and what you said in your car and things like that to be like an informal request for law enforcement. We were joking. It's like, so if you're having a beer with the sheriff. Is that an informal request? You know, like what counts as an informal request here? Because and we joke about it. But when you think about governments that aren't ethical or, you know, aren't run by good people, how it can get really creepy really fast. So that's one that jumped out at me. So what was one that jumped out at you? I agree with that one. First of all, I feel like there were so many moments where we were sort of like rubbing our eyes and reading the policy again, like, can this be real? Is this true? You know, another one, kind of an obvious one that a lot of people have um, have noticed is the, the sexual activity and sex life. Also, the genetic information, that one really struck me as odd as well. And just, it really felt like the companies were taking a data maximalization approach, like just listing every single data category under the sun that they could think of just kind of to, for safety's sake or whatever. But um, yeah, just the, the sheer quantity and the intimacy of the data also just struck me. I never got used to it uh, over the course of our research. With things like collecting genetic information, you know, things like, like you were talking about, like the color of your eyes. I think folks might think then, okay, is the only defense to this stuff buying a car that doesn't have any of this. And I also bring this up because, so I'm in the market for a new car. And so this is extremely relevant to me. Um, and I was looking at questions that, you know, you should ask yourself and your partner about like, okay, what car should we get? And it's been so long since 
I've purchased a car that every question that was asked was so beyond what my current car has. Everything was like, like, I don't have lane assist. I don't have any smart feature for safety. It's only me behind the wheel. And, you know, like my safety be damned. My car doesn't care about what I do. Um, but I wonder then also at the same time, like, is the only protection to not have cars that can record your voice or to scan your eyes or to measure your speed at all times? I just, it feels very difficult to make a privacy forward decision when this is every car today. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this is what we found. There are no good choices from consumers because it seems like the entire auto industry is kind of on board with this huge level of data collection and sharing and selling and, and making money and profiting and, and even growing it. And, you know, we laugh about like consumers don't have good choices and they don't. But going back to your last question, even of like, what are some things that we saw in our privacy policies that, that raised our eyebrows? You know, one of the things that we really got a kick out of, and it goes to this kind of consumer consent, consumer choice, is the how many times we saw in the car company's privacy policies that the line that said, hey, it's your job as the owner of this car to tell any passenger who gets in it our privacy policy basically <laughs> you're so, and and then you know and we used to joke about that you know i mean we still joke about that it's like so whenever you pick up your buddy to go to the movie you're off like wait wait we can't go anywhere yet let me read this privacy policy to you because your data is being collected and there's no way to opt out and so here we go and then you're late for your movie right because so that doesn't happen and so i think kind of one of the things that actually really jumped out about us uh, in terms of options is you know, we read a lot of privacy policies at Privacy Not Included, and the car company's privacy really felt different in terms of, like, they didn't feel like they were making any attempt to write a document about how they were going to protect your privacy. Um, you know, it, with the exception of maybe Tesla. Tesla's privacy policy felt a little bit more like a Google's privacy policy, where they at least acknowledged that privacy was a thing, but it was also very obscure in trying to sort out what they were actually saying. But most of these car companies' privacy policies were just blatant, as Zoe mentioned, like, hey, here's all the data we can collect. And then they list everything. Because I think they know that people aren't reading privacy policies for cars. And, and like you said, you can't really factor that into buying. And then couple that with, I think Toyota had 12 privacy policies that we had to read. I think the average was like five or six for each car company, you know, for the car, the connected services, the apps, you know, on and on. And so your original question was about choice. And it's unfortunate because unless you can just stick with your old car and maintain it, you don't have a lot of choices right now. I wanted to go back to, again, you know, the most outrageous things because um, anytime there's any conversation about a car collecting sexual activity, um, I feel like that could, you can't just like pass that up, right? That could be an hour of conversation. And so I did want to hammer on that, right? Because that was the most outrageous thing that I found, that Nissan can collect like, quote, sexual activity information and that Kia can also collect information about a user's, quote, sex life, right? And so especially on Nissan's language about collecting data about sexual activity, do we know whether the company is actually doing that or are they just saying that they can? And if they're actually doing it or, you know, whatever the answer to that question is, what is it? <laughs> because I can't, I have no idea what that information would be other than like the really obvious one, right? But um, what is that? I am so confused by the inclusion of that and it's so insane to me so i again i wanted to hammer into that do we know if it's actually happening and what is it 
the short answer is no, we don't know. We don't know what it is, like as far as what the data would look like. And we don't really know how it's being collected or if it's being collected. We don't know if the companies are saying that. All we know is that in their privacy policy, they reserve the right to. And why on earth would you reserve the right to collect that information if you had no intention of collecting it? You know, there's 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 like a couple of possible answers here. One, they are collecting it and using it and, you know, Lord knows how, or they're just really bad at writing privacy policies and thinking about privacy from a consumer perspective that they just didn't care and they threw everything in there. And both answers are kind of bad, right? Yeah, when I see that, all of the companies have written bad privacy policies. There is a weird, like you said, they take this maximalist approach, which is not taking into account privacy, but taking into account collection. Like, hey, we just have to list everything because we collect everything. You know, we have to cover ourselves if we do that. There's a weird feeling you get where you're like, is the automaker industry just, did one company do it and everyone's just copy pasting the same privacy policy in terms like in the approach of, Oh, just list everything. Like we're going to collect everything because it sounds like, as you were already saying, that these privacies aren't the norm for the other products and categories that you've reviewed in the past. And so you mentioned there again, like the, there's the maximalist approach. There's also the fact that there's, you know, sometimes six to twelve policies per manufacturer because they're making multiple things. They're making a car. They're making uh, services that connect to the car. Uh, they're making an app that you can use on your phone. But I also wanted to check on just like the performance of other products that you reviewed. Uh, again, here, every single car failed like your tests. Is that not the norm? Is that are, are other products better, I guess? Yeah, I mean, recently we reviewed mental health apps. Last year we reviewed them and then we took another look at them again this year. They were pretty bad. Um, I think we had maybe three products out of 25 in our initial review that did not earn our privacy not included warning label mm -hmm. but there were at least three and, and again mental health apps there's there's hundreds of them we were only able to review 25 so there are there were some good ones same with reproductive health apps same with fitness trackers same with smart speakers you do find ones that do a better job and then you re research car companies and you're like, nope, nobody's doing good. And you, you asked, you know, is this something where the car companies all got together <laughs> and came up with a plan? And, and I, I, you might not be that far off from the truth on that one. Uh, you know, car companies are a very interesting beast. They're these huge, giant conglomerates. And General Motors owns like four, five, six different car brands and Stellantis and, and, and so Toyota and, and Lexus and Honda and Acura. And it's, and, and then they cross um, pollinate with each other. Like we found that the Toyota Supra, um, that one specific mm -hmm. model, uses an app that links to BMW's privacy policy. And oh. so, so these car companies are, you know, very interesting in how they kind of work together. And then there's the automotive industry groups. And, and there's actually uh, an automotive industry group here in the United States that put out this list of data privacy principles that they wrote back in 2014, that I think every car company we reviewed, but two had signed on to the two being Tesla and Renault group, which doesn't sell cars in North America. And they all agreed on things like, 
hey, data minimization is, you know, is a good thing. We shouldn't collect too much data or choice and consent and transparency are all good things. And they all signed on to these. And a lot of them in their privacy documentation crowed about being a part of this. But then you actually see what they do and you're like, but you're not following any of your principles at all. And that's when you kind of realize, you know, car companies, you know, they've been around for, you know, over 100 years, a lot of these dating back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. And if you look, think about it, like they don't have the longest history of ethical behavior, right? Like, you know, the Ford Pinto kind of jumps out as a as an example of car companies killing people and then calculating which would cost them less, fixing the problem or paying people off for their lives. And so, so when you have a, an industry that kind of thinks differently than even, say, our modern tech industry kind of coming into the data privacy game, it is an interesting thing to watch and see. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Zoe, I also wanted to ask you the same question. Was there anything, did anything stand out because of the the differences when you review these policies versus other policies for other product categories? I think it's a great question, and I'm glad that you asked it, because it is important to stress that this just is not okay, but it's also not normal. <laughs> so, yeah, and then, you know, just seconding everything that Jen said, they're getting away with too much, essentially. Yeah. Jen, I thought it was great that you brought up that historically, there are many blemishes in the car industry, in, in auto manufacturers' history. And, you know, you brought up the, the Pinto. And I feel like I don't even have to look it up. I will. But I feel like I don't have to look it up. And I could sort of discern and just understand that probably a lot of car companies were against adding seatbelts. I just assume, I just maybe making a wild guess here. And having that type of ideology then pivot into the data collection industry is concerning. It's very worrying. Hey, everyone. This is David Reese. Uh, who else would it be? And I am interrupting my own show because I did look up whether auto manufacturers opposed the inclusion of seatbelts. And it turns out the history is a little complicated. It's not good, though. Okay, just to point that out. In the mid-1980s, the U.S. Department of Transportation issued a bizarre warning shot to car makers. The department said that unless states that represented two-thirds of the U.S. population passed their own laws to require seatbelts by 1989, then all new automobiles thereafter across the country would need to include seatbelts or airbags. According to the Los Angeles Times, some automakers opposed airbags as they were more expensive to put into vehicles. And so, as a way to bypass the possible federal requirement to add airbags, some car companies actually supported statewide laws for seatbelts. But only to a point. In California in 1985, automakers opposed a bill that would have not only required that all future cars be sold with seatbelts in the state, it would have also not allowed automakers to avoid any future federal regulations on airbags. So that whole negotiation tactic from the U.S. Department of Transportation, the one that said that so long as two-thirds of the population are covered by seatbelt laws, then no one, no company's going to have to worry about installing airbags. California said, 
yes, okay, we will pass our own law, our own seatbelt law, but it won't count for any federal credit. According to the LA Times in 1985, quote, automakers who fear passage could force them to manufacture a special restraint-equipped car for California say the measures are seen as so costly and cumbersome that passage is unlikely, end quote. Of course, many years later, we all have seatbelts and airbags. Back to the show. I wanted to talk more also about the things that scared you the most, or frightened you the most, uh, things that you've been doing this work for a really long time, and so you were able to connect the dots and make inferences of your own, right? What could happen in these scenarios? So after conducting all this research, right, on cars, what worries you the most about what you've learned? The baseline situation of what's already happening is bad. Like, I don't trust car companies with the data that they currently have. And I'm worried with, I'm worried about what they're doing with it now. I'm worried what they're going to do with it um, in the future, especially because they are so incentivized by profit. And that's not always, <laughs> profit isn't always on the side of the, the greater good. So that scares me. I also, so I would consider that the data is already kind of in wrong hands. Like, it's not necessarily in safe hands, but I'm concerned about it getting into um, wronger hands, like Jen was talking about. Um, you know, 56% of the car companies that we looked at explicitly said that they'll share your information with law enforcement with just a simple request, like not a court order, you know, nothing that sounded necessarily official. So I think that is a huge risk, especially to populations that are already targeted and um, and heavily surveilled. So. That scares me a lot. Another thing that worries me is that we couldn't confirm whether any of the cars we looked at meet our security standard, and that's our minimum security standard. So I'm concerned about the potential for the data to actually get into just any bad actor's hands, like cyber criminals or thieves or stalkers, mm -hmm. uh, people like that. Zoe, at some point, you should mention the um, self-repossessing technology that's on its way. Uh, that's just scary to hear the words of. Um, so 100%, what is this? <laughs> so uh, it's so disturbing. <laughs> I'm not sure how to, how to introduce this, but um, I'll just preface by saying this is a real thing that happened. But Ford filed a patent in the United States uh, earlier this year for self-repossessing technology. And it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's a very detailed patent application that outlines all the things that your car could, like all the actions that your car could initiate, basically to, I guess, motivate you, quote unquote, to make payments. And then if those payments still aren't made, then your car would either I mean, this is the most absurd part, but it would either um, repossess itself, like as a, you know, drive off into the sunset, or if your car is not worth enough, then it could actually drive itself to a junkyard. But in between when they describe like how your car would repossess itself, there's also some really disturbing kind of punishments that the, the patent application talked about your car sort of like enacting on you, like they talked about maybe turning off the air conditioning, maybe turning off the radio, maybe um, making an annoying sound in your car that uh, starts whenever you get in your car and it doesn't stop until you make a payment. Just like series of uh, dystopian uh, torments 
from your car. And I just thought that that was so twisted. Yeah. So a lot of thoughts, right? Um, and all of that sounds, uh, like you said, dystopian. All of that sounds particularly awful. And it also, I can't believe that like included in a patent application is like innovation and cruelty. <laughs> like that's terrible to learn. Um, like, oh yeah, we're gonna like, I mean, we gotta make money off of like these novel ways to harm people. Something I wanted to actually bring up again because you mentioned it earlier, Zoe, is uh, we've talked twice here about giving up information for formal or informal law enforcement requests. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there who might be thinking, well, what's the harm? You know, what's the harm of giving information to the cops? Well, you know, one of the jokes that we've made through our research with this is, you know, I I grew up watching a lot of cop chase shows, you know, you know, or movies, Thelma and Louise, Cannonball Run, you know, the Dukes of Hazard, BJ and the Bear, things like that. And we joke about how, like, basically the movie Thelma and Louise would be two minutes. You know, they stand up for themselves in the parking lot and then they get in their car to flee the cops and the cops like track their car, shut the car down and arrest them and the movie's over in two minutes. And so, I mean, that's kind of a funny thing about like, oh, this is the problem with police having all this access to this and what could happen is our, our car chase movies would go away. <laughs> but there's actually something way more insidious that could go on. And the, it's the potential for abuse. You know, when you've got vehicles that can sense how many passengers are in a car, precise locations, microphones in the car, cameras facing in and cameras facing out and you think about how uh, that could be abused by law enforcement or governments that didn't have public safety in mind which does happen you know it gets really scary really fast you know even you know some a, a woman trying to drive to a, an abortion clinic uh, somebody visiting an immigration detention center or just somebody in in the positions of power that hold a grudge or want to know something that they don't have a right to know under our constitution it could just be abused so so horribly <laughs> that's why it gets scary but then that's why you want that sort of technology to be as locked down as it can be and not shared widely or easily with law enforcement or government yeah i also kind of worry you know on my own just thinking out loud here that imagine cars being another stream of information that can deliver data without fourth amendment protections just like you said, is it is it as simple as like getting a beer with a sheriff and saying like, who was in this car at this time? And what if there are passengers in there that did not consent to that search? What if, what if there is no way to actually have any meaningful consent if you're collected in this regime? All these things, like you said, it's there's concerns of abuse of power. Jen, I wanted to go back and ask, is there something that stood out to you that you wanted to mention here on the privacy nightmares? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that stand out. You know, there's the lack of explicit consent, you know, like people are consenting by just getting into a par car and not knowing it. There's choice, not being able to disable these features. Or if your company even says you can, they also go on to say, oh, it might 
cause your car to be unsafe or not work. Um, but the thing I think that really kind of like scares me the most is how quickly this has come up and how much it's flown under the radar. You know, a lot of people are shocked by this. We were shocked by this when we started looking into it. And I think it's in part because people don't buy cars that often. You know, you buy a phone every couple of years, you download apps frequently, but cars are something that, you know, maybe you buy it maybe five years, maybe 10 years. And so this is kind of taken off without people noticing. And in the process, it's grown, it's grown out of control, you know? And so now, you you know, we're trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube and, and we all know that's impossible. And so the thing I think that scares me the most is how quickly this has grown to be a problem, how fast the car companies are trying to monopolize off of it and how little there is that we can do as consumers with our choices. And, and I've gotten asked a lot since we, we launched our research, well, what can I do as a consumer? And and I, I unfortunately have to tell people there's not a lot you can do. You know, you know, if you're really good with cars, you can stick with an older car, but that's not realistic for a lot of people. You still might rent a car on a trip. Um, you might have to drive a, a connected car for business through your work. And so there's just not a lot of good options for people. And so what I've been telling people is just get mad. You know, I'm mad and contact your elected officials and say, hey, look, we need stronger privacy regulation. You know, the, one of the responses the car companies have had to our research is, is, hey, we're not breaking any laws. And generally, that's probably true because the U.S. doesn't have a federal privacy law that protects people, that gives people, you know, rights to limit their data collection or demand that their data be deleted or, or things like that. And so I think at the end of the day, that's maybe what scares me most is how big this problem has gotten and how much work needs to be done to fix it and how it's going to take all of us to do that. Jen, I'm so glad you brought that up, right? That the thing that folks might have to do right now is just get mad. After this is done, I'll scream a lot. Um, but um, I also think it's important to really contextualize what the restrictions already in, in what consent, and I do that with like air quotes, what that looks like with these data collection policies. Because I also wondered, Am I agreeing to these data collection policies simply by purchasing a car and using it? Is it that simple? Is there anywhere that I can opt out? Yeah, there's not really an easy way to opt out of all of this data collection, not, not at least that I could see. Because there's so, and there's so many data collections happening from so many angles. The moment you go to a dealer and hand over your driver's license for a test drive, you know, they're starting data collection on you. You buy the car, the car is collecting data that you can't see. You can't see it collecting it. And you can't see it sharing it. And, you know, if you download an app, you know, then you might be given an option to click, oh, I I want to opt out of this pretty much that means you might not be able to use the app tesla was the one company that said hey you know we know that people buy our cars because they're connected but you might want to opt out of data collection for data protection reasons here's how which was great hmm. at the end of that paragraph they said if you do this um it could mean that you your car isn't safe or doesn't work. And so a lot of times car companies tie this data collection to safety features too. And so as far as I can tell, and, and maybe Zoe saw something I didn't, but as far as I can tell, there are no really good ways to opt out of all of this data collection. Yeah, Zoe, uh, help help us here. Did you find some a silver lining? <laughs> No, <laughs> no, not at all. I think what Jen said <laughs> course, is, yeah, yeah. Is, is pretty accurate. I think that when they don't just fully ignore your consent, they sort of assume your consent based on 
they're using a working definition of consent that departs from the intuitive meaning of that word. So, you know, like I think Jen mentioned earlier, if you get into a Subaru, you've actually consented to their privacy policy, things like that. So they call it, even when they want to use the language of consent and uh, permission, they don't really seem to be doing it in any meaningful way, as far as we can tell. But hey, remember, it's your job as the driver to read the privacy policy to anybody that gets in your That's car. Right. That's your job. I can't. I can't wait to like uh, raise children and like go through you know the must dos when you enter a car. Like, oh, click you know, buckle your seatbelt, and here's the privacy policy. <laughs> remember that your data may be collected at any time, and your voices may be recorded and used for targeted marketing purposes. Um, it sounds just delightful to raise a child in that environment. I wanted to ask about. Like you said, they're like they're not using a definition of consent that we would agree on, that most people would agree on. And so I also wonder, can that be challenged? <laughs> like that's a bigger question, right? But can that does maybe not the public, but is there any government agency that has the force like and the power to actually bring a lawsuit and say, uh no, like getting into a car is not consent for data collection. Does that exist? I'll answer this with the caveat that I am not a policy expert. Um, we did speak with some people, at, um, some staffers on the House Commerce Committee, because they were interested in this. So there are people in Washington, D.C. Who, who see this and recognize it's a problem and are trying to do something. It is an interesting conversation, though, about who's responsible for monitoring and stepping up and protecting the privacy of people when it comes to cars. You know, is it the National Highway Transportation Safety board? Is it the FTC? Who is it? It's a question that I think there might even be some confusion in DC around who's responsible for this, which again goes to the problem and why we need a federal privacy law is regulating car companies is tough on a good day. You know, is it safety related? Is it privacy related? Who handles that? You know, why? All I know is if we make enough noise, everybody has to pay attention and somebody will figure it out, right? It's, I think, unfortunately, what we kind of always have to lean on. Zoe, I wanted to make sure if you had something to add there that you have the space to do it. Yeah, I just wanted to say that in our conversations, uh, sometimes with consumers or people who read our research, a lot of times people are surprised that this kind of activity and this definition of consent is legal. But as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem like either it's not enforced or there is no legal definition of consent. So just good for people to not assume that they're basically that their privacy and digital rights are being protected by these kinds of lies. Zoe, Jen, I know that uh, it can sound like we ended on a sour note, but I think there is something hopeful there in terms of, like you said, raising awareness, uh, speaking loudly, getting mad about something. Um, we know we live in a country where uh, Congress uh, typically uh, only moves when they themselves are also angered by something. It's unfortunate that like you just need that much public attention to pass a single piece of legislation, but that's what we live in. And uh, we at least know that those are levers to pull is public upset and demanding better. And so again, Zoe and Jen, I just wanted to thank you again so much for coming on today's show and telling us about, wow, cars are really bad. <laughs> thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Pleasure to be here. 
to our listeners. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from Unminus.com. Today's show has been edited by our podcast consultant, Eric Johnson at lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks. Thank you.